From the dark, so they're not dark like me, man. Talk, but they can't talk like me. Man, try to say they're the realest of dogs, but the realest of dogs can't bark like me. Name Jay, bars like Jay Z, smile on my face. I know they hate me. Grimes on the road, Grimes on the street, mate. Wait there, blood, don't forget the DJ. The roads can make a man feel so trapped, but the music can make a man feel so free. None of these MCs never spit facts, so these MCs never sound like me. Bars, everyday new flows, you got bars, but nothing like Blue Dog Grime in the studio, Grimes in these raves. Wait there, blood, don't forget the DJ. When I'm at the entrance, I do not exit, trust me. They can't Fix sound flexing, just me. Man told me how my back try cost me. Watch this, I don't chat them to discuss me. Rhyme boy, writing beats. Tell the hype man, stop hyping, please. Grimes in the mind, grimes in the beats. Forget the DJ blood, grimes in me. Enough times, man, I seen this story get told, and what I find out is man just don't know. They never seen it, but the one show. Why would they do that from I don't know? But the show that you need to see, that's grime boy. One that was written by me, that's grime boy. Narrative bars and beats, that's grime boy. Make sure you get your CC, grime boy. Casey, thank you for joining me this afternoon. I've been preparing for this conversation, right? And um, I've been doing a little bit of digging. Obviously, like I've been through your website and, and your social media and, and some of the things that you put me onto to have a look to, to prepare for this conversation. And, and what I really want to know, first of all, is how do you do what you do? Like your journey and your artistry is so, so multidisciplinary. How, how did all that come about? What are the steps that have led you to be the artist, the writer, Casey Bailey, today in 2022? Yeah, um, I think I've been um, lucky in some senses that I've had a really, like, weird and varied life for for, for, for quite a young life. Um, so um, there's so many things that feed into different elements of my practice that I think some people just will never experience. Lots of those things um, you wouldn't necessarily want to experience, but once you've experienced them, they're there. Um, so you might as well capitalise on them. So I grew up in uh, inner city of Birmingham, a place called Neutrals. Um, grew up around drama, violence, gang kind of issues. And yeah, I was quite fortunate, really. Um, so I teach, and I, I always say that as a teacher, I've never worked in a school that wouldn't have kicked me out as a student. I just happened to go to a school where, A, I was one of the kids who was going to get grades and they didn't know a lot of the kids were going to get grades. They were starting to worry about their statistics. So like, oh, <laughs> we need to kind of keep you in. Um, and also there were enough other kids to be worried about being badly behaved. So I was I was poorly behaved by the standards of what I've seen in school, but I wasn't the biggest fish to fry at my school. Um, and so that kind of took me into a certain kind of lifestyle, but at the same time, I've always had a love of music and I've always had a love of words. Um, and uh, my dad told me from a very young age that my mouth would get me in trouble. Uh, and it definitely has. It's got me out of quite a bit as well. Um, and so I started writing. So I was writing grime music and, and hip hop music from about 14 years old. Um, <clears throat> and what's happened so many times, so Grime Boy being a prime example of this, throughout like my now kind of creative journey is things that I have done and I thought were done have like somehow spiraled back into what I am doing so grime boy for example me writing a play about uh, realistically about my own kind of growing up but about what it means to be a young black or, or boy of color in a place like Birmingham trying to be the biggest grime MC but I'm looking at that from the perspective of as I um I did a, a radio 4 interview in the build-up and I was like, if Kano had 
grew up, where Boris Johnson grew up and went to Eton and went to Oxford University, maybe Kano becomes the Prime Minister. But in my opinion, if Boris Johnson grew up where Kano grew up, he doesn't become Kano. So in, in one aspect, you've got the environment, but then you've got a lot of skill and talent and determination. And some people just have privilege. Um, <laughs> so some of us don't have any of that, but they have the skill and the talent and the, and the drive. And what I wanted to do with Grime Boy was very much tell the story of the kind of environment that I was in, in a very human way. Um, because I've experienced, people don't think that the boys out there are, are real people. Um, and I'll never forget being at university after nearly being kicked out of school and very nearly being kicked out of sixth form and having to do three years at sixth form because I still got kicked out of two courses. Um, I remember being at university and a girl saying, uh, she was reading the newspaper and there was a boy who had been stabbed. He was on the front page, big picture of him. And she just looked up from it and said, but no one really gets stabbed, do they? And I was like, sorry? She was like, you know, real people, people like me and you. And I said to her, well, I've been stabbed three times, so maybe I'm not as real as I thought. <laughs> she started crying. I was like, oh, you're, you're upset. Uh, imagine being me. <laughs> so um, it's weird because I realised over time when you, when you operate outside of that sphere and people don't know your background, they don't know where you come from, they'll say very wild things about people who are growing up in poverty and growing up um, without the access to things that some people just think are normal everyday things. And so I, I realised what I tried to do with Grime Boy was I wanted a human story. As much as I wanted it to be heavy in grime, as much as I wanted there to be moments of like humour and moments of real seriousness, I wanted you to feel like that, that's a person. And actually that happens to that person. That's bad because that's a person. And it feels like such a, the most simple boiled down idea in the whole play but it's actually probably the most complex of people outside of that environment to understand. And I think that's what I try and do with my writing. In general, I try and kind of boil down these um, just very human things into something that you can take away and go, oh, actually, I never thought about that like that, or I never, had, I never looked at it from that perspective. Um, and it's something that I've done with poetry, and weirdly people will say to me, um, you know, I've, I've never, I've, I have no idea where, where you're coming from or I don't have any real in-depth idea of what you're talking about, but I feel like you connected me to something I've never connected to. And that's, that's to me what I'm trying to do um, when I write and still feel like if you grew up in Nietzsche's alongside me, it still represents you. It's not just for other people to look at how your life is. You can look at it and go, oh yeah, that's my life. That's my life. Um, and so, yeah, so um, I think the biggest question is how I do everything. But I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I don't sleep is the main answer. Um, ADHD gave me the gift of not sleeping. So, so, I, so I take advantage of it wherever possible. Right. So, okay. So um, you've left me with a lot. You've actually left me with more questions, right? Well, so Properly on tangents as well. I apologize. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. No worries. Let's, um, let's stick with the music, first of all. So is mu music your first kind of passion? Were you involved in any other sort of creative endeavours that then kind of inspired you to pursue yeah. other art forms or was it just strictly music at, at the beginning stage? Yeah, so I think what happened quite weirdly, and again, this is what I mean about kind of weird experiences, and sometimes I've pushed myself or I felt pushed into certain avenues. So when I was 
16 years old making grime music it wasn't nice music it wasn't music that i would like my children to listen to now <laughs> um and that's because that's where i was that's where i was physically but it's where i was mentally and emotionally and um what happened is uh, when i was about maybe 17 or 18 years old there was a boy slightly younger than me who had always hung around with me and i tried to think i kept him out of trouble although every now and then we got each other in trouble i'm sure um and he did something very bad and somebody called me up and asked me to come and get him so i went to get him and i took him out of this situation i said to him like what are you thinking like what's going on in your head and he said oh it's like you saying you sung and he quoted one of my lyrics back to me as like his first point of call for his reason for why he did this thing and i was like flipping how that's what i'm doing like that is what my words are doing and it was emotional it was it was wild i couldn't process it properly and so i just stopped stopped timothy for ages <clears throat> and then I went through a process. When I went off to university, I kind of felt like I was away from the drama enough to feel like I could write. And it wasn't, the two things weren't connected. The life that I'd lived and the music that I was making. And I was making quite positive music and I'd come home, or even when I was at uni or, or in random places, people would say, oh, like, we want you to make that kind of music, that angry music, that aggressive music, and people asking me for it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do that. A, I don't feel the same. B, I don't want to feel the same. And see, I've seen the the impact of it, um, and so then I stopped writing again. I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write again. And weirdly, poetry came out of nobody asks you to write crud poetry. Nobody says, you know, write me a poem about people getting killed or write me a poem about the violence in the ghetto. Nobody asked you to. I ended up doing it over time because that's still stuff that has affected me. But at the time, no one is. No one from this world is coming to me asking for a type of poem. They don't, they don't know anything about a poem. So they're like, they're like, oh, he's writing poetry now. Oh, this geezer's writing poetry now. Good, leave me alone. That's fine. And people who were into poetry were like, oh, that's different. I ain't heard that before. And so I realised I can express myself through poetry as, um, and, and get as much out of it and put as much into it as with the music as well. Um, and then over time, because I, I now very much was a poet i could be a poet who raps every now and then and then again no one expects you to be an angry rapper i have a whole perception around who i am so then i can start making music where i say you know we need to think about what's going on in aleppo i can make songs where i'm saying we need to look after each other and people people who are listening to it now have come to me from poetry so they they're kind of they're, that's the kind of space they're in anyway so they're going oh yeah i like that and then it now it's like spreading, expanding back into different kind of fields. So would you say it was that freedom that then gave you the the space to then transition or move into other styles of writing for theatre, let's say? Yeah, I think so. I remember being at uni and wanting to write a novel. Um, and um, I don't have the patience. I always said I couldn't write anything in the long form. I never thought I could write theatre. Um, and the reason is... There's a couple of reasons. One is, if I think I know where the story's going, I'm bored then. So once, once I know that James in chapter one dies in chapter five, I, I'm, I'm, I, can't put any, I can't put any effort into James as a character now. I'm like, you're going to die. <laughs> so it's like, this is, this is pointless. I'll put in too much effort into you. You're going to die. Um, and if you don't put any effort into him, no one cares when he dies. Um, so so I, I always like, I would start ideas and then I wouldn't finish them. And what happened with... Um, and I've always been like a storyteller, as in my natural kind of personality is to tell stories. Um, everything becomes a story. Even if I'm explaining a really simple point, it becomes a story. 
Um, just that's just who I am. Um, and what happened with Grime Boy is I wrote this. It was like an extended poem <clears throat> with Grime lyrics in it, and it was meant to be like maybe eight minutes long, and it might form a piece of a one-man show where I wrote a bit about hip hop as well, and then I wrote a bit about poetry, and it had these elements. Somebody asked me to do this, um, to sign up for this poetic theatre maker thing that they were running at the rep um, with apples and snakes. I signed up, I thought, nice, they're going to give me some some nice kind of pointers on how to turn this into a theatre piece. They give you a little bit of money and I get to put on my one-man Casey Bailey show about this thing. And then people people start saying, I'll oh, try a bit of dialogue. I'm like, I don't really write dialogue. But I'll like, oh, go and try and write a bit of dialogue. If you don't like it, you don't like it. It's part of the course. Write a bit of dialogue. So I write a bit of dialogue. People go, oh, that's quite good, actually. I like that. I'm like, okay. And then it's like, well, maybe write a scene around this. So I write the scene. That scene later gets scrapped. But now I'm writing scenes and real stories, not just the idea of me standing on stage waffling. Actually, there's, there's a real narrative building here. And, and I think with the reason I could do it, I feel like I can do it now. I've written like theatre stuff since. And in my head now, I know, because I've done Grime Boy, in my head I know I can, I can write that length of thing. But with Grime Boy, it was literally, I had to go like scene by scene. I had to just go, I'm writing this scene. And the scene might be six minutes long. And I'm going to write the six minute scene. And I'm not even thinking about the thread yet. And later I'm going back and tweaking and making it fit and taking stuff out. But I couldn't wrap my head around writing a full play. I couldn't wrap my head around writing characters because when I first started writing it, there wasn't any characters, there was me. <laughs> it was just me <laughs> telling the story. Um, and and um, I think in the first, I remember when I worked with Maddie, who's a director, who's just amazing. And in the first kind of like draft, she was asking me, and I'm a bit of a, a, a weird character in many ways because I don't really fit in to anything. Um, and so she was saying, like, why would, the, why would this character do this? And I was like, I don't know. I just would. She was like, yeah, but it's not you. <laughs> it's not you. It might, it might make sense to you, but no one's going to look at this character doing this and then doing that and go, that makes sense. No one would do that. You, I know you would, but that's not, no one's going to no buy it. So I have to start thinking, actually, no, who is the character now? It's not me anymore. Um, and that process was was interesting. But I think what I realised just before Grime Boy went on at the Rep, uh, I got t- taken onto the the Bushes um, Emerging Writers Group. And when they first called me and spoke to me about it, I said to them, "I don't write theatre." This is after I'd written Grime Boy, and they were like, "But you've written Grime Boy," and I was like, "Yeah, but that's I only wrote that because I know Grime." I don't know theatre, I just know grime. So in my head, I was like, I've just written a grime play, which in my head doesn't really feel like a play. And so then they were like, mm, yeah, well, actually, we think you can write theatre. So then I went on to that. And I realised something that my dad used to say to me over and over again, something I've spoken about kind of like at length since. Like, I don't need to say I can't do something. I can just try. And then do you know what? The beauty of the world is if you can't, people let you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very quickly. Let you know, you know. They'll let you know very quickly. <laughs> so, so if you just start writing things and, no, and nobody wants to take on your player, you go like, does anyone like my player? Nobody likes your player. Then you can go, maybe I, maybe I can't write it. I don't need to say before I write something that I can't write it. And so I just said at that point, I'm not going to do that again. So I've done some like interesting, weird stuff since. And I'm just like, I'll just do it do it and then if the person goes oh that's not what we wanted or that that's not how we thought it would work then I'll go fair enough and I'll move on because the the things that I pick up while I'm trying to do that 
are going to be useful somewhere else. I'm going to enjoy the process. I'm not going to do anything where I just feel like I'm just slugging away. So it's going to be interesting to me. It's going to be important to me. So yeah, now I just go like, if someone says to me, oh, can you do this? And it sounds like something I might want to do. I go, oh, I'll try it. <laughs> I'll have a go and then we'll see what happens. Um, okay, so so what's your, now that you feel maybe perhaps from what you've described a, a little bit more confident with the theatre writing or a little bit more affirmed, if that's the right thing to say. Yeah. What's your process now? Is it different? Like, what's your starting point? Is it still a poem? Is it still lyrics? Do you just attempt to scene? Yeah, I think um, I think the big the big thing and the big difference between when I tried to write longer stuff in the past is I don't know where anything's going and I'm okay with that. And people have said that to me over time and I've gone, that's nonsense, like, you do know. But I've realised you know, I don't have to know what's going to happen. Um, and so I tend, I write lots of, like, short bits like monologues or just pieces of dialogue sometimes like ideas come to me and i write them down and so there's a there's something i'm working on i've been working on it since the bush uh, thing um and it started as a monologue from the prime minister in like a like a future like dystopia and then i wrote another monologue which was from like a, a freedom fighter in the same time and then this kind of idea started building around it that link these two things together. I still don't know how, I, I understand the world of that story now and I understand the concept of what's going on, but I haven't really defined an ending for it and that's okay. Um, so I think my, my process is a little bit disjointed at, at the early stage because I think it doesn't, I don't feel like I, at no point yet, maybe one point kind of, but rarely do I write where I'm thinking, I have to get this thing written. So I'm writing the bits that I want to write and I'm enjoying it. And then I'm, I'm going away from it and coming back and asking myself questions like, well, how does that work with that? And if it doesn't, what needs to change? Or what needs to happen in the middle that you understand how those two things make sense now? So it's just loads of questions. <clears throat> and that's, I've been fortunate because Maddie, uh, Maddie Kluge, she just asked me loads of questions and, and she just gave me loads of different, so like writing kind of like building your characters, your character diamonds, your background of your character and looking at your scene and going, why would that character do that? And if they wouldn't, then either they don't do it or something has to change for them to do it, what changes? And so everything is just question, question, question. Um, and often I do still start from either a poem or a really small idea. So um, the play that I, that the other play that I've, I'm currently kind of like working on, Please Do Not Touch, was born out of, my poetry book, Please Do Not Touch. And so the concept didn't need to be a poem, but I've written a load of poetry around it. And now poetry massively, and music again, interestingly, plays its part in the play. Um, and so there are, for me, there are things that you can get from a poem that you can't get in the theatre. And there are things that you can get much more so in the theatre that you can't get from a poem. Um, and so I, I kind of, a lot of the stuff I've written, it feels like I've written it more than once, but in different ways, because I feel like somebody might pick up the book and go, I don't get this, and go to the play and go, oh, that makes sense. And somebody else might go to the play and think, oh, this is a bit long-winded, <laughs> and pick up the book and read one poem and go, ah, boom, I get what you were trying to say now. Um, and so I'm, that's another thing I'm experimenting with, because I think there's a weird, like, I never realised this coming into the creative world, but there's a very, like, 
make the project, complete the project, move on from the project kind of like thing in the creative world. And I find it a bit like terrifying because you spend so long working on these things. And I think it is, you know, like most things, it comes down to like money because no one's going to pay you to do it again. So you make your play and your play is great and it has the three week run and everybody loves it. But no one's going to give you any more money for that play. So And this pays your bills. So now you go, I need to write a new play. And so you start talking about your old play because you have to talk about your new play. And it just, and they just kind of, you know, if, if you get a text, it goes on a shelf and that's nice. But some of these things are, are a real important part of us and we pull it down and then it just can, can go. So I'm, I'm always thinking now about, you know, Grime Boy, we're looking at the potential of it being like an audio drama and the potential of it being filmed um, in like a proper kind of either series or um, like extended kind of drama piece. But for me, that's important because like I, ca- I in- encapsulated 20 years of growth in that play. I mean, like, yeah, in like, a, in like, like in a 45 minute to an hour piece, right? right? It's so, done. And this is like, okay, that's that. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's go back to this. Um, and it's funny because Grime Boy has been the first thing where after in my head, I felt like it's done because I've got into this cycle of being work on it, it's done and move on. Other people are coming to me saying, oh, uh, I haven't seen you since Grime Boy was on, but I saw Grime Boy, it's amazing. Oh, did you write Grime Boy? And I'm like, how do you know that? Like, wh- how do you know I'm the person who wrote it? You never, you never saw me there. Um, and it, it has that bit more of a life about it. Um, and I'm happy with that because I never, I didn't know, you never know how these things are going to go. Do you see like, right, I'm going to pull it out in the world and people might go, yeah, okay. Or they might go, oh, wow. I think the point that you're making, that that's so important. And I think that it's our generation of creatives and artists that's potentially thinking about legacy more than ever, ever before. Yeah. Because especially in relation to community practice, we're, we're always aiming and we're always focused on safely working with the community then safely exiting a community and and putting together that strategy to make sure that whatever we've made is not a flash in the pan or that there's some legacy to what we create right but now that we live in a digital age why should theater and storytelling only exist for as long as it can be financed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and especially in relation to your own work like being that outside eye and going, you know what, how big is this work for the community? How big is this work for the city? How big is this work for the repertory theatre? How big is this work for rep- in terms of representation for the black community mm. within the cultural sector of Birmingham? And then even wider, how big is this work nationally? Like that's that's so exciting, and, yeah. and and what sort of mediums can we use yeah. to give this work real legacy? Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. What's your opinion, Casey, on where this work sits within its genre, and where does it sit within the city of Birmingham? Because famously, you have the film One Day, and that film is still very cherished as a piece of artwork and a, and a piece of representation of Birmingham black culture within the 2000s. Yeah. Where does Grime Boy sit for you within within the city? Um, I think it weirdly fits in a lot of places, but it doesn't fit anywhere perfectly. Um, and this is something I was saying in, in the build-up to the play and something that a lot of people said to me after the play. 
um, there's a there's a guy who I kind of vaguely know but don't know very well who used to make grime back when I used to make grime, and he said he said very honestly he said I didn't keep up with the whole story which shocked me because I don't think it's quite a complex story. Um, he said I didn't keep up with the whole story but the lyrics were bad. I'd go and watch that again tomorrow. Like the grime was sick, and then there was a woman who came out of there who was if I if I had to guess maybe sixties, um, and she said. I didn't understand everything that was said in the music, but that story was so compelling. And so I felt the story regardless of not catching everything that was said in the music. And I thought that's, that's what I wanted to do because I know you're not going to get an audience of people who are going to pick up every single grime lyric that you've put together with flipping <laughs> wordplay and double entendre and metaphor and, and also go, oh, I really understand the nuance of the whole background of why you wrote that story. So I think it sits kind of not in a not in a it's hard to say without making it sound like egotistical because it's really not it sits on its own in one way um but then it absolutely i think if you've watched one day and then you see grindboy you would definitely see the connections between it because it is storytelling of the exact same spaces with the characters who are essentially from the same kind of background you can take characters from one day and put that character into into the grime boy world, and they would just fit straight into that world, and you could do the same the other way. Um, so, what do you think? What do you think's responsible for for that lack of representation? Then, because it's it may be a really short sighted um, comment for me to say that this the only other piece of work that fits in or that I know of in black Birmingham urban culture is one day. And I mean, like that film was like national, even international mm. people are aware of that film. Right. So where, where are the gaps? Like, yep. why is it that mm. in 2022, that's the only thing that I can yep. reference from Birmingham that is representative yeah. of black yeah, British yeah. Birmingham culture? Would you, what do you think? I think I think what's wild about it is, and I always I always used to say, um, like to flip a coin. Remember, I told you I'm a storyteller. I always I always used to say, so um, someone in my life, I won't say exactly who, guy, in lots of trouble with police, gangs, all this kind of stuff. And I always said, if they grew up in a really nice part of the city, they'd be the guy who goes down to the pub and starts having a few drinks, and lads start going like, oh, you know, he's having a few drinks. You know, he's like he's gonna whip someone. But they never went to jail. They never got involved in crime. They'd just be that, oh, you know that lad, he's a bit, he's a bit antsy. And they'll sell through life and they'll go and get their job and they'd have their family, but every now and then they'd have a little scrap. Growing up where we grew up, people start learning, you know, how to scrap. They want to pull you in and get you involved in this or have a little bit of that, or people want to challenge you in a different way. I think the flip side of that is I grew up around, the people I grew up around are still to this day the most artistic people I've ever met. The people that I saw on a day-to-day -day basis in inner city Birmingham are still like as talented as anyone I meet when I'm doing big, huge events and shows and productions. But there's very little there to look on from their creativity. And, and that's the flip side of like, if some of these people had grew up somewhere where they could have went to RADA or if they'd have grew up somewhere where there was a great youth theatre programme on for them, there'd be, there'd be, all over the stage right now they'll be all over your television and i know where they are right now and it's not it's not where they should be um and so there is that 
definitely that element of this actually shouldn't be all there is for you to, you know, it shouldn't just be like, you know, you can look at this and then look at that. There should be so much. It should. Grime Boy should land in a big group of work that, that is kind of like it, yeah? And it, and it, that work kind of isn't there. Um, not because the people wouldn't have made it, but at the, at the time when, and this is an, another thing when I say I've been lucky, I guess, because I've kind of, in many ways, I've skirted and kept my head up long enough to see these opportunities. Whereas people who I know who I've been in the exact same situations as the situation went slightly worse for them than it did when I was in the situation. And then that, that one domino falling is and then for me, the good domino fell and it flipped stuff in the whole other direction. And so then I've been in the position to say, well, I could write Grime Boy, but only because <clears throat> I've got a very unique experience of how I grew up coupled with a wider experience of the world that I've been fortunate enough to have because I didn't get stunted by where I grew up. And it's not because I'm special compared to the people I grew up with. I got lucky in this situation. I had good parents who, despite not being able to give us everything in the world, they gave me knowledge and they gave me love. And so I was able to look at certain situations and go, I need to avoid that one or I need to treat this one in this way. And the way that I've, even just the way I've dealt with people, where I grew up, you deal with people like, um, if, if people feel like you're going to be the victim or you're going to be the bully. So people come into every situation to dominate it. And people don't like it, of course. So later on in life, you bump into those people again. And now they're in a position to help you, but they don't want to help you because why would they help you? And I grew up in a kind of a household and a family where that wasn't how we saw things. So even when I was in a position to dominate situations, I didn't dominate them. And when I was in a position where I could have a say to say, actually, this bad thing's going to happen to that person or you're going to leave them alone, I'd always say leave them alone. And years down the line, I've been in rooms and people going, oh, do you remember me from when you were there with 20 men and it was all looking a bit mad and you said, oh, let, leave him alone. Oh, yeah, I do. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Anyway, I'm working on this project now with such and such. And, and, and so the people who I would have been with who wouldn't have done that, they're not necessarily worse people than me or horrible people. It's just how they, it's how, how life taught them they had to be. And so they, they lived up to it. Um, and so you put all of that together and very few of us get from a point of knowing that story to developing the skills to tell that story to then actually having access to a platform for that story. All of that actually is, it takes quite a lot of like things going your way. <laughs> Things have to go your way quite a lot. It's the red light or the green light at the right time. And so um, whilst I've, I know I've lived a lot and I, and I don't play it down by saying there's good luck in it, there's a lot of good luck in it. There's a lot of like, oh God, do you remember on that day, if that had went like that, me and you wouldn't be having this conversation. And I, and I, have, to, um, I have to know that and accept that because it means that I, I don't make the mistakes that I have done in the past, fall into the trap of, disrespecting or being disrespectful of the environment that I come from and the people in that environment like like I did something that they didn't do because I'm I'm something special I'm not actually certain things went well <laughs> certain things went well some I should skate on and some I should fall through <laughs> and, I, and I slid a few times um so I love that analogy I really like that I really like that I'm gonna steal it <laughs> on that on that last point that you made about 
the process of significant events that led you to the platform where you could showcase your talent. Do you feel that Birmingham as a city right now is open to creating those pathways and promoting the talent of its communities? I think it's a it's a wild time in Birmingham because um, to, to speak really freely, um, obviously the the decision that the Birmingham rep made to uh, allow the criminal justice system to use their building um, has had a knock-on effect in, in, in communities. And so, but what a lot of people I think didn't realise at that point is the Birmingham rep is the only theatre in the city that is producing theatre. So you can't, you can't, you're, or most people are not going to come with an idea and get it on stage at the Hippodrome or get it on stage at the Alexandra or wherever it may be. So that real route was always through the rep. And now a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to work with the rep. And if you look at what's happened, you can kind of go, well, I understand why, why they feel like that. So now we're in this kind of weird position where, where do those people actually go? I think probably the, the, the most exciting thing that's happened in the region in a long time and I have to say region is um, Corey Campbell at the Belgrade. And Corey Campbell, obviously, coming from Birmingham originally and doing now great things in and for Coventry. But I think people are looking and going, well, maybe that's, that's where I'd like to take my thing. Um, I don't necessarily think that the Birmingham rep are averse to supporting those, those communities in the sense of supporting the work of those artists. I worked very closely with Maddie Kluge on Grime Boy. I, I can't I can't fault any of my experience there. Um but you you can't you can't get away from you know people people need to feel safe, particularly when you come from an environment where you've never really felt safe. And the whole purpose the whole kind of purpose and journey to this creative world is is an escape to safety. It's not an escape to jeopardy. Nobody wants to eat. You can't beat it out of the frying pan into the fire because otherwise you might as well stay in the frying pan because we know the frying pan and we've survived in it already. Um, and it's really easy. And this is something that I'm, I'm lucky that I haven't really struggled with because I haven't just operated in this creative world. I've operated in the world of education, which has all kinds of pitfalls and dramas and nonsense that, that I've witnessed um, in that sometimes you're in a space and somebody else gets it wrong they can get it wrong because it's their space and the way that you react becomes the center of the response fortunately i've learned to understand that before i came into the creative world so i see stuff and i go oh, that's mad <laughs> and i just carry on um i remember being <clears throat> working on another production um i won't say anything about where it was but i, I came into this room and we were doing something and there's some other people from similar kind of background to me and there was someone who was, I don't know, like stage manager or production manager or one of these great roles that you have in the theatre that I don't understand fully yet. And they were just like shouting at people. And I just looked at the guy next to me and I was like, bro, that's mad. Like people are just getting shouted at in like a mad way. But you couldn't, nobody in that room feels like they can say, oh, who are you talking to like that? Like, what are you going on like that for? Don't do that. So everyone just feels like you have to, you have to take it, you have to take it. If you take people from where I'm, come from, where I'm coming from, and there's nothing in between where they come from to that. They'll say like, who are you talking to? <laughs> like, who's my man talking to? And next thing you know, like you're out of line because everybody else has come to accept it. And if everyone accepts nonsense, the so one person who stands up and goes, that's nonsense, you look like a troublemaker. Um, and we already look like troublemakers for various reasons. So people are waiting for that from you. 
So I think it's, it's complex. It's really complex. You've got a new book coming out, right? Go on. I've got a new book coming out. Talk to me about that. Uh, so, so I've got a book called um, From This Soil, uh, which is coming out with a publisher called uh, The Broken Spine. And it will come out on July the 30th, which is my birthday. Um, and yeah, I'm excited about this book. So it's a small book as in physically uh, and in length. So, like, so I made it like, uh, it was kind of inspired by, there's a book by a poet from Birmingham called Ross Goddard, um, published by the Emma Press. And there's a book by another uh, black country poet called Liz Berry called The Republic of Motherhood. And they're really small books. And like the Republic of Motherhood, so I love the book. I know I used to just take it, and if I was wearing jeans, I could just stick it in my back pocket, and it just fit, and I could just take it around, and I jump on a train, pull it out, read a couple of poems, whack it back in my pocket, and go. Um, and so I'm calling it a pocket pamphlet. Uh, I don't know if I've invented that term. I don't think it matters, um, but um, that's what I'm calling it. Um, and it's it's a, it's poems about just interesting, kind of like. Uh, circling back to the start of the conversation, how I came up. So it's about people in my life who have shaped me and have been there for me. And it's about those experiences. So I'm very, it's very, um, going back to no one asked you to write crud poetry. Like there's a poem in there, which is about my sister. Um, when, when two boys tried to rush me, beating one of them up with a mobile phone. Um, and there's, there's poems about just growing up in Nietzsche's and seeing the things that you might see growing up in Nietzsche's. Um, so it's it's very personal. It's very much like my, it's very me. But I like to think that most of the stuff we go through is universal in one way or another. So yeah, man, from this soil, it's uh, it's coming very, very soon. I just saw the first, um, like the full like PDF of what the final layout is going to look like yesterday. So How exciting. And there is a pre-order link, a buy link in the description of this episode. So please, please yeah, make sure that you go and check that yeah, out. Um, and the point that you made about, about storytelling and Grind Boy specifically transitioning further than its intended audience or who at first glance might look at the Grind Boy flyer and go, oh, I like Grind, this, this piece is for me. Like the fact that you are telling stories that are being appreciated universally, like that's a complete compliment to to your talent as a writer. Yeah. Like you're really in the groove right now, right? I'm not. Yeah, I can't complain. I can't complain. It's it's not. It's flowing. It's okay. Um, and I think on that that last point, my friend said to me, um, he he does like he works in kind of like criminology, and he he was doing this seminar. He's planning this seminar and he's talking to me about it. And I said, who's it for? And he said, it depends what the for means. I was like, that's weird. Uh, I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, are you asking me who I'm presenting it to or who I hope it will serve once those people hear it? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's for people who, who are being criminalized unfairly, but I don't expect them to listen to it and want to know what's going on with it. I expect people who are in the position to stop that to listen to it and do something for those people. So yeah, it's like who's it for? It's like it's, it's more. It's a bigger question than I realised. Um, for me, one of the things that I tried to do for a long time was avoid the rules. Don't listen to the rules because you don't need them. You can be whoever you want to be and do what you want to do. Then I started trying to learn the rules because I thought I had to learn the rules to play the game. And then I'm kind of stealing some advice. I think it was from Chris Thorpe, um, who basically said you have to know the rules because 
you want to break them, but you have to know you're breaking them. So I, I think what I would say is taking everything that you can, whether it's theatre, whether it's music, whatever you're doing, taking loads, even if you don't like it, understand how it's made. And then if you're going to totally mess it all up and do it in a different way, know that you're doing that. Know that, yes, I'm writing a 14-line poem, but it's not a sonnet. Yeah, I'm going to make a rap song, but actually it's not going to have a chorus, but then we'll have a, a, a kind of like a chorus at the end and the beginning. Mm-hmm. Know that what you're doing is is either fits this mould or breaks this mould. Don't just kind of blindly do it because it, <clears throat> it, it can kind of, it's hard then when people say to you, oh, have you done it like that because of this? And you go, I don't know. I don't know why I did it like that. It's okay to say, no, I, I purposefully didn't do that. You know that thing that that really established writer did that you really like? I didn't want to do what they did. So I did this. So you're still not, you're still not um, kind of conforming, but that's a decision. So I think everything should be like a decision. So if you're going to do something in a certain way, you know why you've done it in a certain way. And I think the best way to get to that is consumption, taking everything. And don't just take in what you do. Like my, the, the thing that I've consumed the most over time is like novels. Like I'm a big Ian Rankin. I don't know if you know Ian Rankin. I'm a big Ian Rankin fan. He wrote, he writes a John Rebus, like Inspector series. Um, he's probably got like 21, 22 books in the series. Dude's prolific, man. And he writes about Edinburgh. I've never written fiction in my life in, the, in a, like a novel format. But I'm always inspired by his writing. It always gets my mind ticking differently. So don't feel like, you know, well, I'm going to make hip hop. So I just listen to hip hop because I only need to know about hip hop. Listen to jazz. <laughs> Go and watch a play. What in that play could inform what you're doing in your next song? Play with it and enjoy it. And I've certainly enjoyed our conversation today, Casey. Thank you so much for giving me and the listeners an insight into not only your practice, but to also your process. From This Soil is available to buy, download from your website, caseybailey.co.uk. Yeah, man. I just again want to say a massive, massive thank you, and I wish you all the deserved success. No problem, bro. Thank you, man.